Well, those of you who have been here a while know that we are taking this entire year to pursue holiness. Oh, we didn't get the candles blown out, Vernon. Oh, who was the blower? Yeah, the blowless. All right, all right. Thank you for your confession. You'll feel much better tonight. You are forgiven. Uh, spending a whole year pursuing holiness. I don't know that we'll get done in a year. We may spend year after year after year after year just, just concentrating on holiness. But you know as well as I do that holiness is not something you just wake up, okay, I'm going to be holy today. Because it doesn't have anything to do with human effort. Holiness is not the Christian version of the New Year's resolution. Holiness is assimilating the character of God in our lives. Because only God is good. Jesus said that. Only God is good. And so therefore, holiness is about getting ourselves in a position where we can receive the fullness of God and be transformed into a, having a character like His. From one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. So therefore, to begin, the best beginning is really just to get in a position of prayer. And last week we talked about praying continually. How do you do that practically? None of us do that very well. And we said there were a couple of ways. First, you could take something that is routine in your life and turn it into something that reminds you of God. But second, you can replace something in your life that is routine with prayer. How many, uh, by the way, just a little show of hands, how many fasted from something this week and replaced it with prayer? Great. Good. Okay. So, so you know that. Now let me encourage you to keep doing that. Because that will help you pray more continually. And as you pray more continually, then you will be assimilating more and more of what God is. Now, here's the, here's the next question. What do you do after you pray? You just kind of go along? No, there's another huge step, giant step, because the conventional idea of prayer is grossly inadequate. We must pray expectantly, the Bible says, and we have every basis on, upon which to do that. You see, the conventional idea of prayer is this. It's not, it's not an expectant prayer at all. The conventional idea of prayer is this. If my life gets desperate enough, I'll go to God... And I will hope that if I bargain enough or finagle enough, that somehow God will give me what I need. That is not at all the biblical concept of prayer. If you will turn with me to the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, let me give to you the words of Jesus. Now, this is God incarnate. And it's given to his disciples. It says in Matthew 5, in the beginning verses, his disciples. Disciples simply means learner, follower. So if you're following Christ, no matter how mature you are, this promise is for you. It says in, in, in verse 7, ask. Now let's just stop with that word right there. In Greek, the verb tense is present and the verb mood is imperative. Now this is very informative to us. Because the present tense in the Greek uh, um, means, it, it doesn't just stand for a one-time asking. It stands for a continuous or repetitive motion. And therefore, those of you who keep saying, I, I hate continuing to bug God about the same stuff. Don't hate it. It's ordered. Ask, it says. A better translation would be, keep on asking. Keep on asking. That's, that is not only 
a, a verb tense, it's a verb mood. It's imperative, and that means it's an order. This is God's idea. It's not your idea. This is God's idea. Imperative means it's not a request. It's something that we need to do. It's an imperative as far as God is concerned. And so therefore, we don't need to be reticent about approaching God. You see, this prayer thing is something that God originates. God incarnate is commanding us to ask continually. Prayer is not endemic to our nature. Most of you have been taught all your life, don't you ask for anything now. Don't you dare ask anybody for anything. You, you do this all on your own. And that's, that's really how we are naturally. We expect to do it all on our own. But So therefore, when we, when we come to the place where we go, well, you know, maybe I ought to pray about this thing. That's not us talking. Because God incarnate who ordered it is also God in spirit who's inciting it. It is God who's inciting you to pray. It is God who is calling you to pray. Now, who are we to resist that? You know, there were, there were several unfortunate times when I was in grade school and middle school when, when the principal requested the honor of my presence in his office. <laughs> and and he, would, he would come to me and very gently say, uh, Mr. Hunter, um, I would like you to come and have a conversation with me. I never once said, you know, that has to, really has to be my idea, whether or not I come. I'll, I'll think about that. I, I wonder if I really need to come and see. No, this was the principal talking. And when he said, I want you to come talk with me, I went and talked with him. This is God talking here. Ask, he says. He says, ask, and it shall be given to you. It, is, there, is, there any, is there any misinterpretation of this? You know, shall in, in Scripture means shall. That's what it means. Just real plain there. Shall. It shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone in the Greek means everyone. Who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it shall be opened. What man is there among you when his son asks him for a loaf of bread will give him a stone instead? It says here, or if, you, if he asks for a fish, you won't give him a snake or a scorpion, will you? It says then, if you then, being evil, now I know, I know that offends some of us, doesn't it? Well, I'm not evil. I'm a pretty good guy. No, let's settle this issue right here. The reason we're here is because all of us admit we're boogerheads. This is a gathering of boogerheads right here. Sinners, uh, wienerheads, whatever you want to call us, we're here because we need help. That's why we're here. And so let's get over this whole thing about, oh, I'm a pretty good guy. No, we're not. Only God is good. That's what Scripture says that. So we're trying for his goodness. So it says, you then being evil, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You see the dynamic here? We just, we just went through a thing where we were looking toward the day when Claire Rainwater, that was Vernon's daughter up here singing, by the way, 
when Claire Rainwater stood up here. Yeah, I wonder. And I don't want you to miss the symbolism of a piece of the future singing to us. Please don't miss that. But as she sang, we look to that day. Here's to that day when we will be with Christ. Here's to that day when all of our desires will be answered. When all of our hurts healed. When all of our needs met. Remember that day. Well, I want to tell you that when we pray, we've got to also, in a shorter distance of time, understand that there is an answer that God has for us. There's an answer God has for us. Everyone who asks, it says, shall be answered. The reason God calls us into prayer, watch this, is because He has an answer He wants to give us. This is not our idea. I remember when I was first starting out in ministry, a guy who had the, who had the largest United Methodist Church in all of the north, all north of the Mason-Dixon line, asked me, on a periodic basis, just me, to go out to breakfast with him to tell him about my church. Now, you can imagine how intimidated I was. I, get, I start stuttering even thinking about it. His name was Carver McGriff. Is that a cool name or what? If I ever change my name, it'll be to Carver McGriff. That's just one of the coolest names I've ever heard. And, and I can remember going to breakfast, you know, you know, getting all nervous and everything. I was so intimidated. I'd always get those ticks, you know. I hate those things. <laughs> you go, and you know, you know your eye or your lip is doing it. You can't stop the thing. I hated that, you know. But I was so intimidated. And then I thought, wait a minute. Why am I so intimidated? I'm not the one that called this meeting. I'm not going him, to him and saying, oh, Carver, please help me. I beg of you, please help me. He's the one that called the meeting. Now, why did he call the meeting? Carver called the meeting because for some strange reason, he saw something in my life that if he pulled alongside of me and gave me something only he could give me, it would be better for the church. It would be better for the world. It'd be better for me. The reason he called the meeting is because he had something to give me. Do you understand the reason that God incites you to pray is because he has something to give you? It's not you going to God and saying, oh, I got an idea. Why don't you give me something? No, God has something to give you in the first place. That's why he calls you to prayer. Is it then presumptuous to pray expectantly? No, it's accurate. That's why he calls you. And so you should expect an answer. And you should expect an answer, not because you have somehow argued him into it. This is a father-child thing. This is about how he loves you. And it is the natural desire of a father to want to give to his children. That's how the relationship goes. We shouldn't come into this thing going, oh, you know, God, oh, if I straighten up my act, and if you give me this thing, then this is what I'll do. Like this is some sort of legal case. You know, I, I remember a story about old Justice Hugo Black. He used to be a justice of the Supreme Court. And while he, he was quite a character, and while he was on the court, he went to a funeral of this guy he didn't like very much, uh, but he, he wanted to pay his respects to the family, kind of felt sorry for the guy's family, and the guy died, and so he went to the funeral, he's sitting there, and a preacher just got up to talk about the guy. And some other guy slipped in, another, another judge slipped in, uh, he was late, and just slipped into the, to the pew beside uh, Justice Black, 
And he leaned over and he said, um, where are we in the service? And Justice Black leaned over to him and whispered, they just opened up the case for the defense. <laughs> this is not about establishing a case for our defense. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is about letting the father give to his children what he wants to give. And so we are to pray expectantly. Now, what is expectantly? The second part of this is to understand that prayer calls for action. Most people have this all turned around. They say, in order to pray for something, I shouldn't have any action afterwards. I should just wait. Do you understand the progression of these words? The progression is ask, then seek. Seek is an action, isn't it? Then knock. Knock is another action. It involves something physical, doesn't it? And so there is not just the asking and quitting. There is the asking with action. And what this says is that the most important time of our prayer is not just when we speak. It, it is the moments after we quit speaking. It is what we do at, with our lives after we've stopped requesting. That's how are we getting our lives ready for something only God can give us. You see, for those of us who realize that God is our only recourse, I hope, I hope you realize that. I hope you realize that for the wonderful life He made you for, that there's no way we can get there without Him. He's, it's, we're like, it says in, uh, for example, Psalm 62, verse 5, it says this. It says, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. We're in the position, really, with our lives, if we want absolutely the best life, then we're in the position of a little boy or a little girl standing on the ledge of a burning building with our father down below waiting to catch us. Now, when we jump is up to us. We can jump right now, or we can wait till the flames come and we get burned bad enough that we're actually, you know, the, nothing could be more painful for, than this, so I'm going to jump. Or you can just be cantankerous and ornery enough that you don't jump at all, you dive back into the building. That's your choice. But the Father is right here. And He is our only hope. And so therefore, after we've established that, and after we've gone to prayer as the instrument for His rescue, then something very important needs to happen in our lives, and that is we rearrange our lives according to what we expect Him to do, according to what we pray for. Now, it says in Psalm 37, verse 5, these very important words. It says, Commit your way to the Lord... Trust also in Him, and He will do it. Now, I want you to note the order of those words. Commit your way to the Lord. That is, change your behavior. Change what you do. Change how you act. And He will do it. Guess which comes first? Changing how we act. We live now according to what God has promised us. 
to what we pray for. We order our lives in accordance with that promise before we ever see it. What do you think would have happened with Noah if God would have come down and said, Hey, Noah, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it rain a lot. And so therefore, I want you to build a boat. What do you think would have happened with Noah if Noah would have said, As soon as I see the rain, I'll build the boat. See, what happened with Noah is that he went through a long period of time where he was living according to something that no one else could see, including him. Can you imagine how embarrassing that was? You know how big that boat was? There were eight of these guys working on this boat. And he's out there building this huge boat on dry land. Can you imagine people come by, what you doing? Building a boat. Whoa, it's a pretty big boat here. Yeah, going to rain, going to flood, building a boat. There's not even a lake around here, Noah. I know it, I know it. Going to rain. There are no clouds up there. I know, I know, going to rain. What happened with Noah? When God said something, he took him seriously. And so he began to order his life in accordance with that promise. What happened with Abram when God called him out and said, Abram, going to make of you a great nation. I'm calling you out. And so Abram got all of his relatives and just marched out into the wilderness. And the Bible says he had absolutely no idea where he was going. Didn't have a clue. Now, can you imagine all the little kids in that party? Where are we going? Uncle Abram, have no idea. When are we going to get there? Don't know. How long will it take? Can't tell you. What happened, though? Because he was a man of faith, he ordered his life according to his faith and not according to his sight. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it that we pray something and then we don't take any action? Why is it that we pray something and then we're done with it, waiting until we see something? That's not the biblical way. We take action when we have a goal of our own, don't we? I was at the gym the other day doing a, the step machine. You know, step machine, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a medieval instrument of torture. Uh, <laughs> invented hundreds of years ago. But I looked over, looked over, and there was this muscle and fitness magazine on the thing right next to me, muscle and fitness. There's all these guys with huge muscles, you know. And, it, and the title of the article was Build Bulging Biceps. And very alliterative, you see. And, and, I, and, and I thought, well, you know, I'm trying to unbulge rather than bulge. That's why I'm here. <laughs> but, uh, but I read down, there was a whole list of exercises there. And I said, hey, are you going to have these huge arms? Well, how foolish would I be if I'd say, hmm, nice list. I read it all. I'm going to wait on the big arms. <laughs> of course, I'd be an idiot. Everybody say, yeah, you're supposed to do the stuff. Well, then why all of a sudden are we not idiots if we pray for something and we have confidence that God is going to answer that prayer, but yet we don't take any action toward it? Do you ever think of that? Isn't that silly? Of course it is, because we're, we're, we're living according to sight. We're not even living according to common sense. Why do so many marriages fail? Because people want wonderful marriages. And as soon as they get married, they quit trying. Now, how goofy is that? 
Oh God, I want this great marriage. And when I get, when you give me this great marriage, I'm really going to be, I'm going to be so sensitive. I'm going to be a servant. When she, I'm telling you, when she gets to be nice, I, you'll never see a nicer guy. <laughs> yeah. Why in the world, those of you who are married, why in the world, when you got married, did you have to go through such a huge adjustment with living with somebody else? Did you not know you were going to be living with somebody else? Why was that? Why was that any adjustment at all? I'll tell you why. Because you didn't prepare for it. You waited till you got married. You said, how can I prepare for it? Oh, there's lots of ways you can prepare for marriage. You can, you can start giving up your schedule any day now. You, you can start rolling with the punches any day now. You can decide you're going to be kind no matter what. There's lots of ways you can... When we get married, there should not be a period of adjustment. You know why? Because we've been living according to that promise. And after we get married, there shouldn't be any fizzle out. If we want a fantastic marriage, we should live according to that promise. Why do those of us who expect and pray for reconciliation with somebody in our lives wait until... Wait for God to come down and for that person to come and ask for forgiveness. Lord, when that person, when I see the sign and that person come and says they're sorry to me, man, I'm going to be nice to them. I'll even pray for them. What are you waiting on? Don't you, don't you believe God can do that? And don't you believe God wants to do that? Then why don't you do it right now? Why don't you be nice right now? Why don't you pray for them right now? Good grief, the Lord told you to pray for your enemies. Shouldn't you be praying every day for somebody you want to be reconciled with? Praying for their happiness, praying for their welfare? Why not live according to your promise? Why not pray expectantly? Why not rearrange your life so that you are living according to the promise right now? That's praying expectantly. That's living in faith. And let me tell you what's going to happen when you do that. What's going to happen is that there's going to be so much of an accumulation. There's going to be such a change in your life that you can't possibly miss God's answer to that prayer. Now, the Bible says He's going to answer the prayer. That's, that's not even uh, up for grabs. But what happens is people say, well, what if He doesn't answer it just like I wanted it? Now, that happens quite often. You know why? Because God knows better than we do what we need. And so sometimes how he answers it is not quite what we prayed for. Doesn't mean we can't live according to how we hope he'll answer it. But it does mean that we've got to be alert for anything. And a lot of people say, what if I miss his answer? You see, this is the very curious thing about Christians in prayer. Christians pray for one thing but then use all their energy building up a safety net just in case God doesn't come through. Isn't that true? Lord, I know you can do this. But I tell you what, just in case, now I don't want to be presumptuous on you. So just in case, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to build a life that doesn't really need it. You talk about praying with a double mind. You talk about establishing and putting all your effort into doubt and into faith. There it is. 
But what if you're putting all that effort into faith? What's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to build up such an expectation and such a, a desire, such a feeling to see God's answer that you're going to spot that answer. You will never miss that answer no matter what the answer is. And you're going to be able to, to glorify God. Let me give you just a real, I, I'll, I'll close with this, but this is just a real kind of cl- a crude illustration. I'm, I'm sorry for the earthiness of this, but, uh, but for some reason it strikes me as being appropriate. Um, <clears throat> there was a, uh, I read a story about a uh, college uh, junior or senior, I can't remember what it was, that had a job that uh, made him work late into the night every night. And one night he came back into the dormitory and he um, went, was going to his room, and he saw some freshman there with a bottle filling up that bottle with water, and he, fu- he filled it all the way full, and this freshman took that bottle of water and just drank the whole thing. Well, he saw the freshman go back under the tap, fill that bottle a second time, all the way full, and drink that whole thing again. The third time, the freshman stuck it under the spigot, filled it completely full, and drank that whole bottle of water again. This guy finally looked at him and said, what are you doing? And the freshman looked at him and said this, I've been studying all night for this test I have tomorrow morning, and I'm scared to death. I'm going to miss the alarm that's going off in four hours. I'm making sure that I don't miss that alarm. I told you it was earthy. (laughs) You know what's going to happen if we continue to build up behavior in our life that looks toward an answer of prayer? We won't miss it. We won't miss it. There'll be such a predisposition to hear that answer that we won't miss one thing, God says. Therefore, live according to God's goodness. Understand that it is God who is convening the meeting in order to give you what He wants to give you because He loves you. And understand that that aligning our lives with the answer to those prayers is the sure way not to miss the answers. Pray with me now. God, thank You for the wonderful promise of Scripture and the wonderful perspective of Scripture that tells us we're not beggars, We're sons and daughters. We are not trying to get you to give us something you don't want to give us. We are simply complying with your goodness in our lives. Therefore, God, help us to take this scripture literally, to keep on asking until you answer, to keep on seeking until we find, to keep on knocking until the door is open. Oh, God, answer us better than we ask, but help us as we go along not to wait on the answer to change our lives. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.